Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through verse 9. That will be our text today. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would today by your Holy Spirit, Lord, illuminate your word to us. Lord, take it and mold us and shape us. Lord, transform us, renew our minds with it, and conform us to the very image of the Son of Glory. Father, we ask this, that we, your people, your church, would give great witness to you in the earth, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Malachi began his message with an affirmation of God's love for his people, if you remember in the very beginning, the very first words spoken by Malachi were the words of the Lord that said to his people, I have loved you, says the Lord. And God affirms his love for his people. Everything that follows, the words I just read, the words we'll go over today, the hard words, the stern warnings, are born from God's love for his people. God rebukes his children because he loves them. Just as the scripture says, a good father chastises or disciplines his children because he loves them. In fact, the scripture teaches us that a, a parent who will not discipline their children doesn't actually love their children, but hates them. And God, in his rebuke of his children, is demonstrating his love for them. The prophet communicates the Lord's 
displeasure with the priests who consistently profane the name of the Lord by defiling and despising the altar of the Lord as they accept and as they offer polluted sacrifices to God. This has corrupted the worship of God. And the guilt of this sin falls on both priests and the people. The Lord's commandment for the priest to the whole nation. Verse 1. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. In Malachi chapter 2, the Lord issues a commandment for the priest. Since they represent the people before God, this is to the whole nation. This is not a commandment given to them, but a commandment given in regards to them. Let me say that again. This is not a commandment given to them, but a commandment given in regards to them. In other words, this commandment is not in reference to what God is telling his priests to do. This commandment is in reference to what God is telling the priest he will do. This comes as a result of their unrepentant sin. God had already made clear what he commanded them to do, to honor him by obeying his word. Now, God is issuing a commandment, a decree, if you will, in regard to what he will do because they dishonor him. God will command the curse because they will not honor God in their worship. Instead of the honor and reverent fear due his name, the priest and the people despise his name and defile his table. This commandment concerning the curse is because of their disobedience. The commanded curse for disobedience follows the same principle as that of the blessing God promised to command for Israel's obedience. We see this in God's charge to Israel recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. We see the promise of the commandment of the commanded blessing, but also the promise of the curse that comes in Israel's disobedience. We see the promise of blessing, for example, in Deuteronomy 28:8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. And in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You see that in Deuteronomy 28.8? The Lord will command the blessing on you. So we see the promise of the curse in Deuteronomy 28.15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments... And his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So in Deuteronomy 28, 8, God commands the blessing. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, we see the curse that comes as a result of Israel's refusal to obey God. Malachi was well familiar with these promises of blessing and cursing related to Israel's obedience to God and his word. He is declaring what God had commanded concerning the nation, just as it was foretold through the prophetic words of his servant Moses. These outward blessings 
and curses were a sign of the inward condition of the heart. Israel sought only the outward blessing with no regard for the true condition of their hearts, and the measure of which was their honor for God. We know their heart condition because they were chronically, consistently dishonoring God in their worship of Him. This was not an outward problem. This was an inward problem that had an outward manifestation. This is the commandment. I will curse your blessings. This is what God tells His people. Verse 2. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. God warns his people, if you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, I will send a curse upon you. The name of the Lord commands honor and glory. That is true literally and figuratively. The Lord rebuked his priests because they refused to hear and obey. The result of not taking God's word to heart was God's command to send a curse upon them. The phrase, I will curse your blessings, is in stark contrast to when God turned the curse into a blessing. That happened for God's people when Balak, the Moabite king, hired Balaam, the prophet, to come and curse God's people. We see the story in Numbers 22. If you remember, the children of Israel have left Egypt and they're making their way into the promised land, and the Moabites did not want God's people to come into the land. And so the Moabite king Balak contacts the prophet Balaam and he says, come and curse these people for me. I'll pay you to do so. And Balaam goes and three different times he tries to curse the people, but God turns the curse into a blessing. Nehemiah records this in Nehemiah 13 verses 1 through 3. When he recounts this, or actually they're reading the law of God after rebuilding the wall of the temple, it's recorded for us in Nehemiah 13, verses 1 and 3. Let me read these three verses, or these, uh, I'm sorry, these two verses to you, verses 1 and 2. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite... Or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now, here is Israel, after they have been restored to the land, after the temple has been rebuilt, and they are dishonoring God. And God says, because of your chronic dishonoring of my name, because of your chronic unrepentant sin, because you will not take to heart my word. 
and glorify and honor my name, I will command the curse. And he says, I have already turned your blessing into a curse. This is the exact opposite of what God did for them as he was bringing them into the land. As God was bringing the children of Israel into the land, he turned the curse into a blessing. And God promised blessing for his people in their obedience. But the other side of that promise was that a curse would come if they refused to walk in his ways. Not because God hated them, but because God loves them. Now Malachi was prophesying to a people who refused to take God's word to heart. And the result was the curse commanded by God. In fact, God tells them that he had cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. The curse God commanded was already in force. God had already cursed their blessing, and this is why the people were suffering. They had already brought a curse upon themselves because they refused to take God's word to heart. Could God's people today be guilty just as God's people then were? Is it possible that we are experiencing the same result of sin in our own nation? Could it be that the church's refusal to take God's word to heart is resulting in consequences related to a curse or the judgment of God falling upon a nation? Is it possible the surplus of God's blessing from past generations is fast being expended? We may consider, we must consider what will happen when that surplus of past blessing is gone and there is left only the consequence of the curse. We don't want to believe that could happen. We don't want to think about the possibilities that could occur when the blessings are no more. But we would be, we would be negligent if we did not. We would not be faithful if we pretended as though we can continue to dishonor God as a people and suffer no consequence for it. As God's people today, as his royal priesthood in the earth, we too must be mindful of how we are taking God's word to heart. I believe we must be emphatic in this. Just as Israel was a nation of priests that was to give witness to God's glory to all nations of the earth, the church is called to that today. The church of the Lord Jesus is a nation of priests and kings. We are called to give witness to him in all the earth. We are the salt of the earth the light of the world, and a nation called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. In fact, this is exactly what Peter writes in his first letter. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are we proclaiming these praises to? We are to proclaim them to the world. 
We are to proclaim them to any and all who have ears to hear. Look at the blessing proclaimed concerning who we are in Christ. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is no greater blessing. We are to make his glorious name known in all the earth. There are many ways in which we may do this, but there is no greater way than through our worship of God, through the very thing we are doing this morning as we have assembled corporately to worship our King. In our worship, as in all things, we must take it to heart to give glory to His name. Our obedience or disobedience does not stop with us in our generation. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. In verse 2, we read, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. The Lord goes on to say, behold, I will rebuke your descendants, your seed. The literal word there is seed. I will rebuke your seed. There are many types of blessings that God could curse in reference to this verse. There is one blessing in particular I believe we should consider as we look at this verse, and that is the blessing of children. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, the psalmist writes these words, Behold, children are a heritage. Some translations there use the word blessing. Children are a blessing to the Lord. But it literally says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man, or blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are called a heritage. A reward, arrows in the hand of a warrior. The Bible declares that man, ble- that man blessed, that man whose quiver is full, the Bible declares that man blessed. Children are a blessing from the Lord. If we truly believe that, then we should desire children even more than many other blessings we could receive from God. Children, natural children, but not just natural children. Think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul never married. The Apostle Paul never had natural children, but we would never be able to count the number of spiritual children that the Lord gave to him. And we should desire both natural and spiritual children. We should seek for both. Children are God's blessing that keep on giving. The blessing of children is a blessing that continues to give from generation to generation. And this is why God's promise of mercy and blessing is to a thousand generations, but the curse of iniquity stops at the third or fourth generation. We see this in Exodus 20 verse 5 and Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. 
This is God's grace poured out on undeserving sinners. We usually only read that to the third and fourth generation and wonder why God is is punishing people to the third and fourth generation. We fail to understand that what God is saying is there is my grace will stop the curse at the third and fourth generation, but my blessing will go to thousands of generations to those who love me, to those who will keep my word. In proclaiming the curse, God says, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. Our sin not only has an impact on our own life, but on our descendants and the generations coming after. We are living on the blessings that generations, many generations before us, have supplied to us. And if we are not supplying blessing for the coming generations, God help them. And He will, though He may be helping them through very hard times. Times that we would not choose for ourselves. So our sin not only has an impact on our own life, but on our descendants and the generations coming after us. By God's grace, the good news is that our obedience has an even greater and longer lasting impact on the generations to come after us than our disobedience. This should cause us to take God's glory to heart and seek to make it known through our own life and through our own obedience, trusting Him to a thousand generations. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. As they have shown contempt for God, He will show contempt for them. As they have defiled God, he will defile them. This is what the Lord is saying. My new King James has the word refuse here, but it is the word dung. Think of it however you want. That is what God is saying. He will smear on their faces. It is the dung. It is the awful. The refuse left from their sacrifices, from their polluted and unacceptable sacrifices offered to the Lord upon his table. And those sacrifices are a defilement to God's name and to his altar. So God promises to defile those who offer such sacrifices. The defilement pictures here, the defilement pictured here is graphic, and it is meant to be offensive to God's people. We don't like to think of that God who offends his people on purpose. That is not the God the world preaches today. That is not the God much of the church preaches today. For many in the church today, they wouldn't even pay attention to this scripture. They wouldn't even want to read this scripture publicly from a pulpit because they don't want to present the picture that God might be someone who would smear feces on the face of his people. That's exactly what the word says. And we want to say, why would God do something that horrible? Really? That just means we don't realize how horrible what we have done to God in dishonoring Him and defiling Him and despising His name and His table. This is what God is pointing out. This is why God is using such a graphic example here. 
He wants to make clear how offensive their sin is to him. He wants to so offend them that they begin to understand how offensive they are to him. He wants them to know how very offensive is the dishonoring of his name and the defilement of his altar. As the dung of their solemn feast is spread on their faces, those false worshipers will be taken away with the same dung that has corrupted them. What was to be done with the dung, with the awful, the, the, the leftovers of the sacrifice it was to be taken away? God is saying, I'll smear dung on your faces and you will be taken away along with the dung. Taken where? Taken to the proper place outside the camp away from God. It's not a pretty picture God is painting here. God is painting this unpleasant picture, this offensive picture, because he's trying to get the attention of his people because he's calling them to repentance. He's rebuking them because he loves them. We should not resist the Lord's rebuke because it means he loves us. This is why we preach God's word. This is why we don't just pick nice topics to preach about that will make you feel good as you leave. Make you feel good in your sin. Make you think that you're okay when maybe you're not. not make you think that things are all right when things really aren't. And as good as things may be here, guess what? We're just a small part of the greater church. And so it can be great and wonderful here, and you may be walking in the holiness of God, righteous and obedient before Him. But if you're not concerned with the sin in the rest of the church, if you're not willing to humble yourself and pray for the rest of the body that you are a member of, then we will corporately here suffer the fate that will come upon the whole corporate body, the church in this nation. God's priestly covenant is to continue. Verse 4, Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. When they suffer the consequences promised in the commandment God sent to them, namely the curse of their blessings, they will know that God has kept his word. Part of the reason for Israel turning away from the Lord was that they were walking by sight instead of walking by faith. They did not see what they thought they should be seeing at this point. We've rebuilt the temple. We've been worshiping God. How come all those promises from Haggai and, 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 and all the others have not come to pass yet? And as they've grown weary in their service to God and their worship of God, because they're living by their sight instead of by faith, not seeing what they want to see, not experiencing what they feel like they should be experiencing, as a result of looking to all these temporal blessings 
while being blind to the spiritual and eternal blessings that they have in God, they did not believe God would keep his word. And the people, unable to see God's blessing, turned to the gods of the Gentiles, the gods of the pagans all around them, in search of the temporal blessings they desired. But it would not come in their disobedience, but would only come in their obedience. And ultimately, we see that fulfillment in Christ. It is the same for us today. If we are looking for temporal blessings only and are blind to the blessings that we have in Christ, the eternal spiritual blessings that can never be taken from us, we are looking to the wrong things. We're seeking after the wrong things. And if God doesn't intervene in our life to redirect us back onto the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, if God doesn't intervene in our life, that means God doesn't love us. You might say, well, I'm not sure I want God to intervene in my life because that could be unpleasant. Well, let me promise you this. If God does not intervene in our life, what you will experience one day will be much more unpleasant than any intervention God could bring into your life right now. That my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. God's covenant with his priest was to continue. Remember, Israel was to be a nation of priests ministering to all people. They failed to do that. They failed in many ways. But God did not fail to keep his word. He did raise up a holy nation of kings and priests made of both Jews and Gentiles. The church today is a nation of priests. God is unwilling to forsake his covenant with Levi and the priesthood. He was unwilling to do that then. He brought his word to bear. He brought to pass this commandment because he wanted God's people to know that God keeps his word. God keeps his covenant. And he had not abandoned his covenant with Levi, with the priesthood. In fact, he calls those priests to repentance and to, to once again walk in the truth that Levi walked in. This is because God was preparing to send the great high priest and establish through him the royal priesthood of all believers, a true nation of priests and kings to minister to the nations and in the power of, of Christ's resurrection life. There is now just one new man, one royal priesthood made from both Jew and Gentile, created as his workmanship in Christ. We are the priesthood of God, not descendants of Levi, but we are of Christ, line of the tribe of Judah. The great high priest that God always meant to send forth. We are the people that God always meant to establish in the earth. Levi and the priesthood under the old covenant was simply a type and a shadow. God had a plan that would far transcend and surpass that 
which Israel knew. But God kept his word, kept his covenant. The law of truth should be in the mouth of a priest. Verse 5, my covenant was with him. One of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. Verse 6 and 7. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should keep the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God says that's who Levi was. That's who you, O priest, are supposed to be today. In these three verses, we see the privilege and the responsibility given to the priest of God. This is the privilege and responsibility we have today as God's royal priesthood in the earth today. Today, Christ is both our life and our peace. John 14, 6, Ephesians 2, 14. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Proverbs teaches us. God, in His grace, grants to us the fear of the Lord and the wisdom and the understanding of the Lord as we minister in His name. The law of truth is to be in our mouth, even more than the Levitical priesthood. For now we have the life of Christ through the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That life that now dwells in us by grace through faith in Jesus. In Christ, we are not only God's messengers, but we are his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Sent forth with the ministry of reconciliation to see men reconciled to God and become disciples of Christ, filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. The knowledge of his glory in Christ. We are called to turn many from iniquity and lead them to Christ. Not all answer the call, but many are called. Many are called, but few are chosen. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. Chosen by God before the foundation of the world. If you are His elect, you are chosen by God. And you are chosen by God to call men to repentance. And that call is with our words. And with our life. This again. Is what God has called us to. As his royal priesthood in the earth today. Let us not depart from the way. Verse 8 and 9. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. This again is a description of the curse God commanded upon his people for the chronic disobedience. May we not suffer the same sad fate in our own day. Please rest assured that the victory already belongs to the Lord, and that is in no way in question. I'm not calling that into question. 
The only question is our obedience. It is never Christ's victory that is questioned. It is our own obedience, our own faithfulness that is in question. There is blessing associated with our obedience to Christ. In fact, there is great blessing that God promises in our obedience. It's why he calls us to obey him. It's why Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Obedience is not a bad word. We cannot obey him apart from his grace. One of our chief prayers should be, God, give me the grace to obey. You can't obey God out of your own will, out of your own resources, out of your own power. You obey God out of his grace. But we should seek that grace to obey him so that God can pour out the blessings of obedience upon his people. As the church, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, we have a great impact on what happens in our nation. The healing of our land does not rest with the sinner. The healing of our land rests with God's people who are called by his name. God is sovereign, but the means that God works through does not exclude his people. God blesses a nation, and his people in that nation are blessed, and they are to be a blessing. A nation is blessed because of God's people. As God's priests and ambassadors in the earth today, we have a great privilege and a great responsibility. We have both. We are seeing the consequences that befall a nation when they disregard and dishonor God and His glory, specifically when a church, when God's people dishonor God. When God's people disregard His word. Let us not make the same mistakes as Israel and Judah. Let us not be a people and a priesthood who will not take to heart the glory due His name. As God's children, as redeemed saints, as those called into His presence to minister and to be ministered to, let us do so in full assurance of faith. As those called to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to ascend into His presence as a living sacrifice, knowing that we are living stones being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let us do so faithfully and joyfully. Let us do so knowing that our worship is warfare and that our lives offered to him in worship and in warfare will make a difference not only for us here and now, but for the generations to come. Let us purpose that our descendants will not receive God's rebuke, but God's blessings because of our faithfulness to Him and His ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table, to commune with Him, to be renewed and refreshed and strengthened that He may send us back out into this world to make his glory known. Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Please stand for your charge.
Now is the time, today is the day for the Lord's church to rise up. That would mean that it is time for each of us, for you and for me, to rise up. But what does that mean? It certainly means that we must rise up and fall down humbled before the Lord in prayer, crying out to Him in repentance for ourselves and for one another. It means that we must renew our commitment to the Lord and to one another in terms of our worship, corporately and personally. It means we must not underestimate the power and effectiveness of our corporate worship in the realm of the Spirit and in terms of our witness and our warfare here in the earth. It means we must be courageous in trusting the Lord. We must be willing to sacrifice in faith, believing that no sacrifice will be greater than the blessing we will receive from God as a result of our obedience. It means we must be wise in how we conduct ourselves and our warfare. It means we must not lean on our own understanding, but learn to trust and acknowledge Him in all of our ways, in all of His ways, walking wisely as we discern the times. It means now is the time of your visitation. Now is the time for you to know He is God and that He is sovereignly ruling and reigning over all. Now is not the time to fear but the time for faith. Now is the time to be reminded that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you, but He is with you even to the end of the age. It means it is time to go to His kingdom work. Whether that's changing diapers, washing dishes, applying your trade, preaching a sermon, corporately gathered, to worship Him and to do the warfare in the Spirit. In other words, it's your daily life lived before God. That is the kingdom work that we are called to so that we see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hold on. It's going to get exciting, but remember, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.